If you have your Bibles this morning, you would turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We will be spending the next uh, six weeks in a, in a uh, series going through the book of Mark uh, as we then will look towards Christmas with uh, the Advent season beginning after that. So Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 20. Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 20. And, and as we'll see, this, is, this sermon is titled uh, Fisher of Men. And from that title, you can probably guess which passage we're dealing with. Um, but I want to share uh, um, that we will uh, be looking at this. We'll be seeing what, what God is saying to us in Mark. Uh, and so if you will, let's read in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately they call, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning, if you would. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, this day we can come and, and look at your word and, and see what you're saying to us this morning. God, I pray that you'll help us to understand what it means to be a fisher of men, just to see what you have, have called us to be, to see what you called these men to be, and how that applies to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we're looking at this passage, I think one of the first things we need to address and need to look at is the one who calls. We first need to understand who is the one that is calling very clearly in this passage, Jesus is the one who calls. So as we're looking at Mark, we're not starting in the very first verse. So what has he done so far? We see John the Baptist prepares the way. He comes and he's and is preaching and, and in preaching repentance and baptizing people. And then Jesus comes and is baptized by John and thus begins his ministry. Following his baptism, he goes into the wilderness and is tempted for 40 days. And then he begins to preach. Right after John is arrested, where we picked up in verse 14, John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is the one who calls. Emmanuel God with us. Now, that's a, that's a name for Jesus, a name that's associated with Jesus. We most commonly hear when? At Christmas time. Emmanuel, right? The, there's the songs, the, the, the carols we sing, but Emmanuel means God with us. When we look at Jesus and the stories of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, too often I think it is easy for us to forget just who Jesus is. He is the Son of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, came to live and to be the sacrifice, the propitiation for sins. This is not just another prophet, not just another teacher. 
but God with us. And it's important that we have this correct understanding of who it is we're dealing with. Because when we think about authority, we think about authority in our lives, it makes a very big difference on how we respond to it. If you remember when you were a child, if, if your sibling told you something or a friend, you might blow it off. Ah, that, I, don't, I don't really care what you think about that. That's, that's no use to me. But if your parents tell you, you ought to listen. Because that command, that calling, that idea comes with authority. So Jesus is not just a man like us, fully God, fully man, speaking with authority. And so what was he speaking? Before he calls his disciples, this is the framework of who it is that is calling these men. He's preaching the gospel. You, you've probably heard the, the word for gospel in the Greek is eangelion, which means good news or glad tidings. It's the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. This idea, euangelion, is where we get the word evangelize, evangelism, to share the good news, to be a person that goes and shares the good news with others. The call to repent and believe, calling people to follow, calling people to turn, which is what repent means, to turn from where you're going and go a new direction. This is what Jesus is preaching before he calls his first disciples. And so when we're taking this example from Jesus, we need to not take anything for granted when we share the gospel. What is the bad news? If there is good news that is being proclaimed, well, surely there's bad news. That that good news is replacing. The bad news is that we are sinful people. The bad news is that there is a law that God has given and we cannot uphold it. We cannot attain it on our own. What do they need to repent from? To repent from their sinful life. We must make the gospel clear. We also see in this passage, as we're getting to where he calls the disciples, that the time is fulfilled. What does it mean that the time is fulfilled? He says, Jesus says in verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Everything in the story, everything in God's story has built from creation to this moment. If, if you look on the screen, you'll see what you may have seen in, in English class when you were growing up, the, the idea of, of the way a story is built. There's the beginning, the, the, everything is working towards the climax of the story. And, and movies operate in this, this way as well, where everything is working towards this, this final grand moment, and everything before it points to that moment, and everything after is a result of that moment. The life of Christ, the crucifixion, the the death and burial resurrection of Christ is the climax of God's story. It is what everything before is pointing towards and is what everything after is pointing back to. So when Christ says the time is at hand, he is saying that everything that you have heard, everything that, that has been spoken about through the prophets, everything that has been revealed before is now at hand. The one that was to come is here. It is the same news that John the Baptist was proclaiming before Christ came. This was God's plan from the foundation of the world. The time of waiting had ended. The Messiah is here. And again, we remember who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the promised one of God, not just 
another messenger, Emmanuel, God with us. Listen to what Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says about him. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is who we're dealing with in Jesus. The creator, the the one who has been with God and is God from the beginning. Not just a prophet, not just another man. Jesus is God's promise to Abraham fulfilled. The blessing to the nations. So Jesus proclaims this message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. I think this is important that we see as well. The kingdom of God is at hand. God reigning over his people. Not a man with an earthly kingdom, but God as king. If you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people ask Samuel to establish a king, the first king of Israel, Saul. And in the Bible, it says that this displeased Samuel, but if you look at what the Hebrew actually says, it says that this was an, the thing they asked was evil in Samuel's eyes. It was evil that they had asked for a king. Why was it evil? Because God's response to Samuel tells them that. It's not you that they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king and want an earthly king. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people of God rejected God as their king and wanted a man. And Jesus is here saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. No longer will he put up with these these earthly ones, no longer will he put up with these earthly kings that are leading and, and guiding, but he is coming to establish his kingdom, his reign, and his plan for redemption through Jesus Christ. A people he would redeem through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. He is more than just a prophet. He is God in the flesh, ushering in the kingdom of God in a way unexpected by the people of the world. They expected a conquering king in the Messiah, but got a suffering servant, one that would redeem them. And in doing so, he called men to follow him. Though they were not always the men that might be expected, they were ordinary men living ordinary lives who were called to something greater. And that's the second thing that we see is that there is a call to something greater. So we have one that is greater than we are that calls, and he is calling these people and calling us to something greater. I think the first question we have to ask is, what does it mean to be called? What is, what is a calling? Well, I, I know in the terminology we use in church, when I came to preach here for my first trial sermon, it was coming in view of a call, right? Some people may speak of their, their line or line of work or their profession as a calling. I, well, I feel called to this line of work. And maybe in sports and in, in, in baseball, you get called up to the big leagues, right? There's a call. It's the idea of someone giving you an opportunity and you taking it. A call to do something and acting upon it. In the call we see expressed to the first disciples are the words, follow me. First, we see two brothers, Simon and Andrew. They were fishermen. 
Now, often when we think about him calling the disciples, we, we, we think of them in boats, but the description here in this passage in particular, doesn't necessarily mention that they were in a boat, but they were casting their nets out. Maybe like the man you can see on the bottom of the screen, casting a net over the fish and then would gather the fish as the weighted net would sink around them. And what does, he, what does he tell them? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I think that's one of the beautiful things that we can observe about how God calls us in our lives. He doesn't often call us completely into a different realm, at least not one that we're not prepared for. He takes fishermen and tells them, you will now fish for people, fish for men. So he uses something that they are familiar with, something that he has gifted them to do, and explains his calling to them in that way. God will often use our current gifts and abilities, but call us to be so much more. And we see he calls James and John. They were fishermen with their father. They were on a boat. Now, all of these men were were normal men who were living their lives, practicing their professions, carrying on the family business. They were not remarkable in any perceivable way. They had not pursued a religious life, but rather a life of a laborer. Now, in in Jewish culture, these boys, when they were boys, would have been trained in the Torah, trained in religious studies and in religious life. But at a certain point, these men decided, or it was decided for them, that that was not the path they would follow. Perhaps they weren't skilled enough in their religious studies to continue. Perhaps they didn't view it as the right thing for them. But they were not religious students. They weren't under the teaching of a a previous rabbi. They weren't the best and the brightest, the up-and-coming religious scholars. They were fishermen, working with their hands, working in the sun. And these are who Jesus calls. Now, the question that, that often strikes me is, what did they know when Jesus called them? It's easy to look at these stories and to look at the the things we see in Scripture and and forget with the the knowledge of having knowing how all of this ends. But these men would have been out fishing, and and here comes a man saying, follow me, I'll make you fisher of men. Well, that's a little strange. Did they know this man? We see from this passage Jesus was already preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Did they know? Had they encountered him? Had they heard of this new this new rabbi teaching repentance in the kingdom of God? Had they had prior contact with him? There's really no way of knowing. But the important distinction of this calling is that when they were presented with it, they were called to follow Jesus. I want you to understand what I mean by, by saying it's, it's an important distinction that we make that they were called to follow Jesus. Jesus did not say, let me teach you the ways of God. He said, follow me. That's very different than how rabbis and other religious teachers would have interacted with their students and their disciples. They would have been a a person who was more experienced teaching almost like apprentices what they knew about something that was not something they had authority over. They would teach them the Torah. They would teach them the truths of God, but not on their authority, but on the authority of God's word. 
But Jesus says, follow me. He didn't say, follow the teachings that I'm going to share with you. He said, follow me. And we see here a claim of authority from Christ that we will see, we will see later in his ministry. He took fishermen and led them, and led them to be his followers. This, this echoes what we will see later where they were astonished because he was one who spoke with authority. Not only was the way they were called different, but they were called to something greater. They were called to be fishers of men. As we mentioned, Jesus had already begun to preach the gospel. He was preaching the good news, and he was calling these men to take part, to preach this good news of the kingdom of God to the world, to help people to see and to repent and to follow what God was calling them to do. They were called to be a part of spreading the good news that Jesus was proclaiming, and then to carry on the fullness of the gospel after the resurrection. What I think is very clear through Scripture, when you look at it totally, is that Christians today have inherited this call to be fishers of men. If we think about the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, we think about the, the proclamation to Timothy of preaching the word, sharing the good news of what Jesus has done with others. We are called to be fishers of men, to, to go and share this good news with others. We're called to lay our nets aside, to follow Christ and share the gospel. And the question we must decide is what will our response be? There are only two responses. As we're thinking about what these responses may be, I want you to think about how you make choices. Are you consistent in the way you make decisions in your life? What factors do you take into account when you make a choice in your life? Do you think about short-term gratification or long-term results? I think a classic example of this that many people can likely relate to is the idea of following a diet or having that dessert. One of them feels really good in the moment, and one of them has long-term results. So when we think about our life, when we think about the choices we make, the decisions we make, which one motivates us? Are we concerned with the here and now, what feels the best and what seems the best today? Are we looking at the bigger picture? Are we looking at tomorrow, the next week, five years from now, eternity? How do you make decisions do you think about what you want or what God wants? Your will or God's will? The two choices we have when we are presented with a call are very simpler, simple. Yes, to follow Christ, to the affirmative answer to agree to move forward with what God is calling us to do, or no, to reject Christ. To choose what we want over what God wants. And, and let's be clear about that. It's not simply the idea that, oh, it's, you know, it's not that. It's, it's just I think this might make more sense. If we are 
rejecting what God calls us to do, we are saying that we know better than God. That was the sin in the garden. God has said, but it's appealing to the eye. It's good for food, desirable for knowledge. When we share the gospel and encounter no's, we must remember that as God told Samuel, they are not rejecting us, but rather rejecting him. When we are responding to this call, we need to be sure to understand it. They were called, we think about these men, they were called to follow Jesus and not just pay lip service, not just to give a positive affirmation. Jesus said, follow me. Can you imagine if they said, that sounds good, have a good day? Which answer is that? It's a no. It doesn't matter that they were nice. It doesn't matter that they maybe supported him in his ministry, but they did not follow. They, did, they, they kept at their nets. They kept at what they were doing rather than following God. This is what Jesus condemned the Pharisees for. Through their speech and their, their, their words, they proclaimed a love for God, but in their hearts and in their intentions were devoid of love for God and devotion to God. It's not just a, a like on a Facebook page. It's following Christ. They left what they had and followed Jesus. You know, Wednesday night, uh, Mike was preaching through the, the series they've been doing on experiencing God and the idea of the crisis of belief was mentioned. And there are times where we must make the decision, will we trust God can and will do more than we can? It's a scary thing. We need to be honest about that and honest when we talk to others about that. It is scary. And it must have been scary for these men to have left everything they knew to follow Christ. But will we make that decision that we will give our lives over to someone who is greater than we are, who we can do more than we can do? And the question we must face is what will we choose? Simon, Andrew, James, and John all said yes to following Jesus. They left what they knew and followed Christ. There are those that had the opportunity but said no. If we think about Mark 10, 17 through 22, we, we see the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus asking him, how do I inherit eternal life? He says, well, you know the commandments, keep them. And he said, I've done that since I was a youth. And it says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He said, one thing you lack, sell all that you have, give to the poor and follow me. And it says that the man went away sad because he had great wealth. See, the reality for that man who rejected Christ, who was faced with a call to follow, but decided what he had in this world was too much to lay aside. He valued it more than Christ. He may not have seen it that way. He came seeking eternal life. But when it came to the answer to his question, where his heart was, was clear. It was with the temporary things, the things that he has now, the things that he would not lay aside to follow Christ. There are many things that will cause people to turn down 
good and proper choices. And Satan will use anything he can to keep us from following Christ. It will be too hard. We'll have to give up too much. And other things could be more rewarding in our mind. These are all lies that unfortunately many people believe. We all have to face the same decision that these disciples did. The decision Simon, Andrew, James, and John had to make was, is this worth it? Is following Christ, accepting the call to follow Christ, worth it? Walking away from what they knew, following this new rabbi teaching repentance in the kingdom of God, is what he's teaching true? They decided yes, and it was the best choice they could have ever made. And I firmly believe they did not get the big picture at this point in time. They did not know that Jesus was the Christ. They did not know that he was the Messiah. As we'll see, and I encourage you to read through Mark as we're going through it, you will see often that, that Jesus gets very frustrated with the disciples because they clearly don't understand what's going on. He has to explain things over and over and over again. They didn't know he was the Messiah, but they still followed. And later they would. But we do know. We do know that Jesus is the Christ, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, who lived the life we could not, went to the cross, laid down his life so that in him we might have life, but did not stay in the grave, but was risen. And in him there's victory over sin and death. And so each of us must make the decision for ourselves. Will you follow Christ? Will you follow Christ? The beautiful thing about salvation is that it does not require effort or work on our part. The work Christ did on the cross is what what saves us and justifies us before God. But just like these men choosing to follow Christ, it is a decision that if we are obedient in following will lead to difficulty. It will lead to hardship. It will lead to having to sacrifice things that that get in the way of our relationship to God. It will lead to us having to step out of our comfort zone and do things that are hard. And there will be suffering. But it is for the glory of God and the expansion of His kingdom. So will you lay down anything that might hinder you? Repent of your sin. Follow him as your Lord and Savior. Today is the day to trust in him. And if you have accepted him, if you have been years ago, heard the call to follow him, and you accepted that call, are you faithfully following? Daily, we need to examine our lives and to see, are we living into our calling? Are we faithfully following Christ or have we allowed anything, distractions to to get in the way? Have we gone back and picked the nets up that we first walked away from? Are you a fisher of men? Are you proclaiming the gospel in your life? Are you sharing the good news of what you have believed in? You know, Jesus said there are, are, are two Great commandments, right? The first to love God and the second to love people. How unloving is it for us to know 
the good news of what Jesus has done for us and for all people who would believe, the way to inherit eternal life and to not share it. Here's a story from, and I know growing up when I did, coming through school, there were these two men that would often explain things in, I think it was science class most often, Penn and Teller. Um, and, and Penn Gillette is the larger man's name, and he is an atheist. He does not believe in God. But he shared one of the most powerful examples I've heard about why it's important, and he doesn't get offended when people share the gospel with him. He does not get offended. There was a man that came and brought him a Bible, told him he was praying for him, and he shared that he was not offended by it because if that man truly believes that there is an eternal bus coming at him, that, that he is a sinner who is condemned because of his sin and, and that there is punishment and judgment waiting for him, how much would he have to hate that person not to push him out of the way of the bus? How much would he have to not care for that person to not try to do everything he could to, get, to convince him a bus is coming at him, whether he believed it or not? And so we have to understand and accept that part of following Christ, if we are a believer today, is sharing that good news with others. Whether it's hard, whether people reject us, whether people may view us differently, we are called to share the good news of Jesus with others. As a church, we must make the decision that we are going to faithfully follow Christ wherever he leads, to follow him in our lives, to follow him in what we do and what we decide and, and how we are living as a light into this world. And so as we come to our time of invitation, I want to challenge you, wherever you are this morning, now is the time to respond to the call of God. He says, follow me. Are you following him? How can you follow him more faithfully? Or maybe will you follow him for the first time today? Let us pray together. Father, I want to thank you for this time we have to look at your word, to, to look at what it means to follow you and the example we have in, in these first disciples that you called. Simon, Andrew, James, and John, I pray that you will help us to see what it means to follow you. And I thank you for your salvation. I thank you for the ability that you give us to follow you, that you loved us so much that you didn't leave us separated and abandoned and far away. But because you so loved us, you sent your son so that we could be made right with you. God, I pray that any in here who do not know you this morning that they would be reconciled to you. That you would help us each to see in our lives what it means to faithfully follow you on a daily basis. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.